please hear me. Starting is, the race is important. But finishing the race well is equally as important. And many of our examples in the Scripture, men and women that God used, many of them started well. Many had perhaps a difficult time in their life, a time when they were not as close to God. Many of them repented and God redeemed and made beautiful out of their situation. And so I would just like to leave you with this thought this evening. Finish your race. Finish your race. Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was on his way. He decided he didn't want to stop at Ephesus and he arrived at Miletus. And there he sent for the elders of the church of Ephesus and asked them to come to him. And he tells them this phrase that all these things, I'm going, I'm going to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit testifies of every city that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, he says. Nor do I count myself, nor do I count myself called you. Unto, and you must be faithful unto him to finish that race. There have been good men, men who have been faithful all their lives, and in one moment, one moment they took their eyes off the course, and they fell and fell hard. I can think of men I know personally who were once serving the Lord Jesus Christ with joy, who were once uh, excited about the work of God, who have fallen away out of fellowship with the Lord. 
And it's, it's a sad thing. And guys, listen to me. The day that we live in, the Bible tells us that evil shall wax worse and worse. It's going to get worse and worse. So, I just want a, a few thoughts about this. I've already said, number one, number one, you have a race. You have a race. You were called by God to that race. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, He has called you into this race and He has gifted you with a spiritual gift. If you are a believer, um, in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll just read quickly, I don't think I gave that to, to Bryce, but in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 it says, But speaking the truth in love, that you may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. The Bible says that every believer should be exercising his or her spiritual gift. And I would not be a pastor, much of a pastor at all, if I didn't stand before you and tell you that God has equipped you with a gift. And not only has He given you that gift, He's called you into this race, your specific race, and only you can run your race. No one can run your race for you. No one can do anything other than what God has called them to do. And this is the big problem with the church. Most statistics say in the neighborhood of 10 to 20% of the work done, or excuse me, 10, 80% of the work is done by 10 to 20% of the people in the church. God did not design that only a few people in the church serve Him and all the others just be in the church. There's no provision in the Scriptures. I searched through the Scriptures and tried to find a place anywhere, anywhere, just a little glimpse of something to that kind of desire, that kind of attitude in the church, and it was non-existent. As a matter of fact, the closest thing to that would be the church of Corinth. And because they were so passive, they fell into sin because of their passivity and accepted wrong. And Paul had to write the letter, 1 Corinthians, to the church of Corinth. And I, I saw one time I was going through town. I think I was in Michigan when I was still in the insurance business. And I was up there where, where the company I worked for. And I went by and I saw Corinth Baptist Church. And I thought, if I were naming a church, I would not name it Corinth Baptist Church because there's not a lot of good said about Corinthians. But I want to tell you this. Only you can run your race. And you don't have to answer to me. You don't have to feel guilty. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. I'm trying to tell you this, that as each generation comes along and each generation does less than the previous generation, we will see how in the end times 
It is weak and ineffective. Is that the church of whom Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? No. No, it's not. Paul says this. He says, you go get the elders. And he says, last uh, verse 18, And when they came to him, he said to them, You know. You know. What do they know? Well, first of all, from the very first day that I came to Asia, of what manner I always lived among you. Paul's course was evident to those believers, to those Ephesian elders. It was evident to them. They knew about his course. Why? Because the way he lived his life. They didn't have to guess about it. They didn't have to think about that. He said, you know. That is an absolute gnoso. That is a no-so. I absolutely know. I have knowledge of this. And Paul is saying, and all that he's saying here, look at verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility. You know how I serve the Lord with all humility. You see, your race and my race always involves serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. I'm reading a book about, a biography about Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks is a hero of mine in the faith. He taught Dallas Seminary for many years until he was no longer able to teach until he's in heaven now. But he taught David Jeremiah, Chuck Swindoll, Chip Ingram, all the guys who graduated from Dallas Seminary. He taught them how to study the Bible. It's what we learned at Tri-State Bible College, the principles of Bible study. We were taught the same that he taught, that he taught Clifford Marcourt when Clifford Marcourt was at Dallas. And so on and so forth. And he said there was a time when he came to Dallas Seminary as a young man. He was on staff and the, and the staff did not like him. This is someone else telling the story. His wife tells the story through another third party. The staff did not like him. And do you know there was a time when Dr. Tony Evans... They were not going to allow him to be a member of Dallas Seminary because he was an African-American man. Howard Hendricks fought against the staff and stood side by side with Tony Evans, who was not a doctor then, who was eventually, he persuaded them to let him in and he trained him, and now we've all been blessed by Dr. Evans. If you've ever heard him preach, you've been blessed by him. I had the privilege, my dad and I had the privilege of hearing him preach when we went to a conference at Dallas Seminary, and he's just as good in person as he is on TV. But Dr. Hendricks served the Lord at the college. He was a pastor for a little bit, and he, he didn't want to be a pastor. He felt like 
he was not called to pastor. But that his course was training and discipling men and women at the seminary level, teaching them, 2 Timothy 2, 2, to invest in others who could invest in others who could invest in others. And throughout his life, he served the Lord in that capacity and he ran his own race. When they talked him into being a pastor, he did so reluctantly. He was a pastor for a few years. And then he said, look, I'm not a pastor. I need to be at the college. That's where God's called me. And he had the courage to remain on course, his course, because no one could run his course for him. And no one can run your race for you. Not only does running our race revolve, revolve, revolve around serving the Lord, but it also revolves around humility. Serving the Lord with all humility. Humility is a requirement in using the gifts. If you go out and clang your own symbol. And you, can I use this for lack of better terms, you toot your own horn about your spiritual gifts, you've lost your reward. That is your reward. You will have no heavenly reward. It requires humility. And guys, listen to me. Paul said this, Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Paul could have at any time threw up his hands and said, look, I don't want to do this any longer. And perhaps the Jews would have let him go and they would not have persecuted him anymore. They would not have pressured him anymore. But you know what he did? Rather than do that, he said, I'm going to persist. I'm going to stay on course. Because no one can run my course for me. No one can run my race for me. Verse 20, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I stayed on track. And I'm going to stay on track. Look at verse 22 and see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem not knowing the things that will happen to me there. He specifically didn't know the things that would happen, but he did expect chains and tribulations because he says that in the next verse. Why? He was not going to let difficulty move him from his course. Well, so-and-so hurt my feelings. So you're going to drop your course because they hurt your feelings. Well, they didn't like my shirt. I don't even like my shirt sometimes. But I wear it anyways. It's a shirt. Who cares? Well, I did all this work and so-and-so got all the credit. Did you not hear me? If you want credit here, you don't get credit there. 
See, you and I not only have to run our own race, but we are responsible for our own race. Paul couldn't pass this on to Timothy. Timothy couldn't handle it. He had stomach problems, a little wine for your stomach's sake. And he wasn't talking about grape juice. Why? He, many people suppose that he had ulcers because he was trying to deal with all the problems of the church. He couldn't do it. But what did Paul do? Paul wrote him that most intimate letter, his last letter before he was literally beheaded and told them to stick with it. Don't quit. See, Paul says this, you are responsible for your own race. You're not responsible for someone else's race. I remember uh, after I came to the church, there was a person that walked in Joe's office and when Joe was in the deacon here and Bill was deacon and one of the guys, some man came in and said, the Lord told me that I was to be the next pastor of your church. And many of you know Joe Zimmerman. Joe Zimmerman said, huh, the Lord didn't tell me that. And, uh, and I remember... When I first came here, I was aloof, and there were some people who wanted to preach It was in this church. And I just assumed because I was the pastor, I was supposed to preach. I didn't know. And there was a fellow who had an Awana class, and he wouldn't show up on Wednesday night. He had a Wana class, and there would be many in that class, and someone who was not the teacher would have to take over and he would tell them, you know, something happened, I couldn't make it, or et cetera, et cetera. And he said this. He said this. He said, well, at least you could do is throw me a bone every once in a while. I said, well, as best I read the Scripture, Scripture says if you're faithful with little, I'll make you ruler of much. If you're not going to be faithful in a one class, you ain't going to be faithful in the pulpit. You see, only you are responsible for you. No one else. And people think it's a, a small thing. You say, hey, I'll take the class, but then you don't show up and teach a class. Or I'll do this for the Lord, and then you don't do that. You're better off not to volunteer if you're not going to do it. Because you are only responsible for your race, what God's called you to do. And the flip side of that is, in a church that's active, such as ours, people will step up and do things they've not been called to do because no one else will do it. Still not right. I appreciate your efforts. But if you do something that you're not called to do, and it takes you away from doing what you're called to do, then you're just as wrong. You say, don't tell them that, preacher. We won't have people to work. Hey, you know what? Maybe we should stop covering people and just let the holes happen. And then you get in this whole little mess. Well, you know, I can't ask so-and-so because if I ask them, they think I'm trying to get rid of them. And if I, if I tell them this, then they'll have their feelings hurt. And then this person, you know, and I, oh, it makes my head hurt, my heart hurt. Pastor, you can't say something because we need them and they won't be there. Yeah, but they're not here now. And if I say something and they get offended... We're still going to have to find somebody to do it anyways. 
you see how the catch-22 we're in? But if we would just do what God's called us to do. Paul said, you know what manner I always lived among you. His service was obvious. His service was a priority. His service was a passion. His service had purpose. His service was not something he took lightly. And because we're in a church and it's volunteer, we can't say anything, but shouldn't we have servants that have a priority, a passion, and a purpose? Shouldn't you serve God with the gift that He gave you with, with a, a priority and a passion and a purpose? I mean, take away my vacation days, but if I just decided, hey, I'm not going to start coming, and I didn't have a legitimate excuse, a few services, you all say, hey, what's going on here? Oh, nothing. I decided I, I mean, the Reds, well, I'm not going to Reds now. They're not winning anymore, but... Uh, when they were winning, I was going to go up Reds and I'm going to do all this. And there's nothing wrong with vacations, man. I, I want you to do all that stuff. But if I shirk my responsibility and what God called me to do after a few services, you guys are going to be wanting to know because, hey, wait, 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 preacher, we pay you. We pay you. Sometimes I envy bivocational pastors because they can do things and not have to worry about it. They can stand and make some stands that we should have been making a long time ago, but that we didn't because we're afraid that, well, you know, might get fired. But Paul had a priority and a passion and a, and a purpose for ministry. There was a time in the church when I was growing up, and I can remember... I can remember distinctively people rallied around the church and people served in ways. Someone that would never get up in front of the church or never teach or never sing, but man, they would serve behind. They loved to just come and clean. I have met so many faithful servants, people who serve the Lord beyond their physical ability beyond their mental ability. It was a supernatural thing. It was a gift of God, and they did it for the glory of God. I grew up in a time when men and women would do whatever they had to do for the glory of God and not think a thing about it. When they worked hard for the glory of God, and they wanted to do it. They wanted to be involved. You got something for me to do? That's Paul. He was responsible for his own race, and he was not about to get off course. He was not about, in verse 24, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. In Paul's eyes, when he surrendered his life to Christ, he surrendered his life. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul is saying, look, 
When I surrender my life, it's not mine, it's his. And whatever he wants is what I want. And that's what I'm going to do. Why? So that I may finish my race with joy. Do you know why we're missing out on joy in our churches today? Because you're not running your race. I'm not running my race that's set before me. I'm trying to run everybody else's race. And you're trying to run everybody else's race. Well, so-and-so just do this. This might happen. And if they do this, hey, not my circus, not my monkey. Listen to what, how the New Living Translation says in verse 24. But my life is worth nothing unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus Christ. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. It was not a generic statement. My life is worth nothing to me unless I am running the race that is set before me. That's what he says. Everyone in this room perhaps has trophies up in our attic. And they just thought they're collecting dust. Every one of us has uh, all these things that we treasure more than anything... And we're going to die one day and somebody's going to pilfer through them. Our kids don't want them. They're going to sell them. You say, not my kids. Yes, your kids. It has nothing to do with you loving you. It has everything to do with they don't want your stuff. Just like mine don't want my stuff. I have boxes and boxes and boxes of handwritten sermons. And you know what's going to happen one day? Somebody's going to burn them. It don't matter. It doesn't matter. That's closer to the beginning of Paul's ministry. Let's go toward the end of his ministry. And even one step further, the end of his life. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, please. To the best we know, this is Paul's most intimate letter, his last letter. We know that he knows he's about to die and he is writing his young protege. And this is what Paul says in verse 7, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Well, let me go back to verse 6. I didn't have... For I am ready, already being poured out as a drink offering, and listen, and the time of my departure is at hand. His departure was not getting out of prison and going back to Jerusalem. His departure was departing this earth. He knows that he is about to meet his Savior face to face through death. And he says in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. 
at the end of Paul's life, Paul says, your race is a fight. It's a fight. You're in a spiritual battle every day of your life. And the devil does not fight fair. He hits below the belt with the intent to take you off the course that God has set you on. He wants you to be a nominal Christian. He wants you to claim the name of Jesus. He wants you to tithe. He wants you to attend church. But He doesn't want you to get serious and serve God with a passion and a purpose. And Paul, at the end of his life, says, I have fought a good fight. I fought. It's a fight. It's not supposed to be easy. Ministry is never easy. It's called sacrifice. We know very little of sacrifice. I heard the story once of a little girl who needed a blood transfusion. And if she didn't get this blood transfusion, she wasn't going to make it. And as fate would have it, not really, as God would have it, the only one that they could match was her brother. Weird. And so the parents approached the brother and said, hey, we're going to do this. And he said, okay. After much thought, he said, okay. He was very intent. Took him to the hospital. He, lied on the, he laid on the bed. They hooked it up, the machine and everything. They did this blood transfusion. And big crocodile tears came down his cheeks. And they said, uh, well, what's the matter, son? He said, when am I going to die? What do you mean when you're going to die? He said, I'm giving her my blood. When am I going to die? The little boy thought he was giving her all of his blood and that he was dying. He was willing to die for her. No one's asked us to die for him. Christ asked us to live for him. Amen. To live for him. And it's going to be a fight. Paul said, I know I'm going, I know, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I do know that there's chains and there's tribulation, there's trial every city that I go into. Someone said when Paul entered a city, he didn't go to the local motel and check out the rooms. He went to the local jail and checked out the cells. Because he knew he would end up there. And the only reason he would end up there is because of his devotion to Christ, to remaining on the course that is set before him. It's a fight. And don't think that he won't use discouragement. Don't think that the devil won't use any number of things in this fight with the intended purpose of knocking you off the race that's set before you. 
Secondly, your race is a matter of faith. James says, don't tell me your faith, show me your faith. Show me your faith. Don't just talk about faith. Oh, I believe in God. Everybody believes in God. Don't, don't tell me that. Show me the money. Show me the faith. Now, faith in this sense is a two-part. Part one is that you trust in the Lord. Now, can I be honest with you? Trusting in the Lord for our salvation is quite easy. But how about trusting in the Lord for everything else? When you go to the doctor and you get bad news and the nurse calls you, or well, you, you think you have bad news, you take that test and on Friday at 11.30 your phone rings and you're trying to get to it and you miss the ringer and you can't get to it and they say, and you call back and they say, oh, we're closed till Monday. So all weekend you have to think about that test, right? See, faith also is a fight. Because our flesh is weak. And every one of us in here struggles with it. In his book, Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, he has a book called Lectures to My Students. I keep it near my desk. Because I pull it out frequently and read it. It's a big, thick book. And this, these were the lectures that he gave to his students that were at his college. And in that book is called A Minister's Fainting Fits. That's what it's called. Charles Spurgeon died at 57. He suffered bouts of deep depression all the while preaching to many thousand people in the Metropolitan Tabernacle. If it can happen to him, it can happen to us. The Apostle Paul prayed for the thorn in the flesh to be removed from him three times. He prayed. And the Lord didn't take it away. And he said, Most gladly will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If it could happen to Paul, what makes us think it couldn't happen to us? So your race is a matter of faith. And the second part of that is faithfulness. Being full of faith. Being where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be, because it's the path that Christ puts you on. It's active, not passive. As J. Vernon McGee used to say, the man that's praying for rain for his crop says amen with a hoe in his hand. And then he says this, Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Why is it laid up there? Because he's got to die to get it. He don't get it until he gets there. It's laid up there. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
Paul was very clear that he was about to depart and stand before the righteous judge. And in confidence, he said, there's laid up there for me a crown of righteousness. Not just me, but to all those who love his appearing. You know who love his appearing? Those who are ready to meet him. You know who is going to fear his appearing? Those who are not ready to meet him. You cannot run the race from the stands. You're either running or you're not. And you will be accountable. I will be accountable to the Lord for my race. You will be accountable for your race. Are you running the race that's set before you? If not... What is so important that keeps you from running the race that God has set you upon? What could be so important that keeps you from running that race? I would say this. What we need, church, Myself, you, all of us. We need a a good soul-searching time with the Lord. Away from distraction. Away from others where you can be who you are before God. And we ask Him to reveal to us, God, what's keeping me? From running the race that you have set before me. Would you bow your heads with me, please?